Welcome to the 228th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our look at week four of college football, our look at week three of the NFL, and our weekly look at Major League Baseball. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. We will start in Major League Baseball. Patrick went two and two in his weekend Major League Baseball series predictions. In the NFL, Patrick went three and one. And in college football, Patrick also went three and one. So for the weekend, Patrick went eight and four combined on his predictions. That brings him to an 810 and 543 overall record. That's a 59.9% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Well, it started off with uh, pretty good MLB predictions. The Rangers swept the Mariners. Um, and the Blue Jays took two or three from the Rays in the most important series of the weekend. In fact, they're so important that MLB is repeating them next week, and I'll be predicting them again next weekend. Um, but then the Marlins took two of three from the Brewers. I got that one wrong, but there were two close games for the Marlins. Hard to tell how much motivation the Brewers were going to come out with because they were still fighting for a division, but they had already clinched their playoff spot. Um, and their division is pretty much secure. So it's not like they were uh, necessarily trying maybe – their hardest and throwing out their best guys in every situation. But I still thought they had enough momentum that um, with the starting pitchers they had, they would win those games, but they did not. Um, and then the Yankees took two or three from the Diamondbacks. This was a surprising result because the Yankees were already eliminated from the playoffs, I believe either on Friday or after Friday's games. Um, and the Diamondbacks obviously are still fighting for a playoff spot. So that is not a game you expect uh, to swing that way. And, uh, the Yankees won the first game of the series seven to one. The Diamondbacks won the second series, second game of the series seven to one. Um, but then they had a rained out game that ended up being played on Monday instead. And the Diamondbacks were up in that one, I believe, four to three. But the Yankees came back to win six to four. So I got that one wrong, but very surprised that the Diamondbacks not playing well enough to beat the Yankees. But that's a different story. Um, in the NFL, the Lions beat the Falcons twenty to six, which I predicted right. The Patriots beat the Jets fifteen to ten, which I predicted right. The Chargers beat the Vikings 28 to 24. We'll talk about that one later for sure, but I got that one wrong. And then the Eagles beat the Buccaneers on one of the two games on Monday Night Football 25 to 11, which I got right. So a good week there. And then college football with seven ranked matchups. Uh, pretty much the home team won every game except for one. I picked all home teams this week. Ohio State went on the road and beat Notre Dame uh, 17 to 14. That was the only team that won on the road. The other ones. Number 10, Oregon demolished number 19, Colorado, 42 to 6. Number 11, Utah beat number 22, UCLA, 14 to 7. And then number 13, Alabama beat number 15, Ole Miss, 24 to 10. So overall, really good week. Um, I liked how my predictions turned out, obviously, because I did well. Um, and look, college football, that slate probably won't be repeated for the rest of the year, maybe until rivalry week, depending on how those teams end up being ranked. Um, but at the same time, it was a good good weekend of matchups there, uh, and the NFL probably will get better matchups as the weeks roll on because it's kind of hard to tell who are the good teams right now. You know, I picked Chargers-Vikings despite the fact that that was an 0-2 team against an 0-2 team, um, but both teams obviously playoff teams last year, high expectations. So it's very hard to pick what what exact games I'm picking early in the season, um, but it'll get better once, once the weeks roll on and it's not just a bunch of 2-1 and 1-2 and and everywhere. Um, but overall, though, happy with how I did and hoping to continue that through next week. OK, well, uh, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday at 4 and 24com Let's continue 
Uh, with that college football theme, a little bit of a preview of some of the games uh, that we're going to look back at here that Patrick mentioned from his prediction. So let's start with the best games of week four. Well, it started with Washington State against Oregon State, Washington State number 21. I didn't quite put this one in upsets, and there weren't many upsets this week at all. I had to go very off the board to find them, and we'll talk about that later. Um, but they won 38-35. to 35. They started off this game up 28-14 to 14 at the half. Going into the fourth quarter, they were up 35-14. to 14. But Oregon State had a furious comeback uh, in the fourth quarter to get it all the way down to 35-38, to 38, although Washington State was still able to pull away and end up with the victory in the end. Uh, that gives Washington State two ranked wins on the year, which is pretty surprising. Um, I had them as a good team, but didn't have them as being that good. Uh, I don't know if I actually picked Oregon State to actually win this game specifically. I'd have to go back and look at that. Um, but it's very interesting that, you know, all these Pac-12 teams, they really all have a chance, um, maybe not maybe not to upset the throne of USC, Washington, and Utah, um, but there are still plenty of teams kind of in that middle range that can be fighting for quality bowl appearances uh, in other bowl games that aren't playoff bowl games. Um, and Washington State is definitely one of them with how they've played so far. And Oregon State was for sure thought of as one of them. And now I think, you know, the, these teams are pretty evenly matched, honestly. Um, but for now, Washington State has to be viewed as the better team because they won the head-to-head matchup. But then you have number four, Florida State. They went on the road and beat Clemson in overtime, 31-24. Uh, at the beginning of the season, it was seen as Florida State having two hard games pretty much all year long. The first one being their opener against LSU. And the second one being this game against Clemson. So now all of a sudden they're 4-0 through that stretch. And you would think that they really don't have anything left on their schedule. But funny enough, Clemson ends up being unranked because of how they played the first few games. And now Florida State actually has three other ranked games on their schedule when Duke and Miami come into town. And then when they go to play Florida on the road at the end of the season, not quite sure Florida's going to still be ranked by that game. I would be very surprised if they were, honestly. Um, but I think Duke will still be ranked in three weeks when that matchup happens. Uh, so, well, we'll see because they do play Notre Dame this week. Um, but look, Florida State, it's not it, it, the beginning of the season expectation. We talked about this on the podcast was that if they could beat LSU, really, it would just be down to if they beat Clemson, they're running the table. And if they don't, then they're probably just going 11 and one. And then we'll have to see what happens in the rest of the ACC. And if Florida State can, you know, pull that pull that win out. but really. Florida State and Duke are now the two best teams in this conference. I guess I guess Miami has a shot at it as well because um, they're still undefeated, but they haven't played many conference games yet. Um, but look, Clemson is 0-2 in conference. I don't think they're going to you know lose out. I don't think they're going to lose, frankly, that many games going forward in the ACC. But they do have an 0-2 start. And when you look at Florida State's schedule, that Florida game is a non-conference game. I don't really see Florida State picking up two losses when Duke and Miami are, you know, our home games later in the season, but still that was a great game on Saturday. Um, not too much project. I should stop projecting a, on the future and just talk about the fact that that was a great game. Uh, Keon Coleman made a great one-handed catch to basically seal the game for Florida state and their defense. Uh, it got better when they needed it to. Uh, it's a close, it was a close game all around though. Neither team could get the clutch score in the fourth quarter, but in the end it was Florida state who got it in overtime. Uh, and then you have number six, Ohio state, who went on the road and defeated number 14, I mean, sorry, number nine, Notre Dame, 17 to 14. Uh, Notre Dame definitely didn't play their best game here. They had a lot of mistakes. They left a lot of points on the board. Uh, the biggest mistake was having 10 men on the field on the final two plays of the game, which that is something that really can't be accounted for and shouldn't, there's no excuse for that. 
Um, I guess is what I'm saying. It's pretty obvious that there isn't. Um, but look, Notre Dame, they had a turnover on downs twice. They missed a field goal in the first half. So they they definitely, definitely lost um, many opportunities throughout the game that they probably should have converted. Um, meanwhile, Ohio State, they had one 61-yard touchdown drive immediately after Notre Dame had a turnover on downs at the beginning of the second half that gave them a 10 to nothing lead. And Notre Dame did come back and take the lead 14 to 10 by scoring in their next two possessions. But then when Ohio state turned the ball over on downs, Notre Dame ended up punting, had some questionable decisions because they were throwing um, while there were under two and a half minutes left instead of running the ball, which is a very, very interesting decision um, by Notre Dame and probably ended up, you know, costing them the game. I, I don't think that, they would have lost this game if they had just ran the ball on that final drive, uh, but they didn't. And Ohio State went down the field, 15 plays, 65 yards in a minute and a half. Um, not anything exactly super, super impressive other than the third and 19 conversion. Um, but look, Ohio State, they played a tough game to get out to, to escape Notre Dame with a victory. It's a very tough place to win. Notre Dame's still a good team, in my opinion, um, but they definitely left some points on the board. Ohio State capitalized on those mistakes, and they barely walked away with a close victory. Um, and then number 12, LSU beat Arkansas 34-31. to 31. A lot of people had Arkansas on potential upset alert, uh, or I guess LSU on potential upset alert at the hands of Arkansas this weekend. Um, but, you know, that was based on preseason expectations a little bit, how Arkansas was supposed to be a little bit better than they have been so far. Maybe they lost to BYU last week because they were looking forward to this game. I don't really know. They played both of the they played both of those games very close, but came up uh, 0 for two there. Uh, LSU was trailing at the half, but kind of exploded in the in the beginning of the second half. Ended up winning or ended up being uh, leading. Sorry, 24 to 16 going into the fourth quarter. Um, so Arkansas came back to make it a little bit closer by outscoring them 15 to 10 in the in the fourth quarter, but it wasn't quite enough as LSU still walked away with the victory. And then you have UCLA and Utah. Utah got a pick six on the first play from scrimmage for UCLA. They scored one touchdown at the end of the first half, and that was all they needed because their defense is just that dominant. They won 14 to seven. Maybe this doesn't belong in best games, but I wasn't very impressed, obviously, with Utah following the same script of just great defense. I've already talked about their defense enough. Um, so at this point, it's just kind of a given, even though still a great performance, but it's more of a given than a surprising uh, thing at this point. Uh, but look, Utah, they're a good team. They're sneaking into the top 10 now. When Cam Risen comes back, they can really be dangerous. Yeah, some, some great games. You just talked about all of them with the home team uh, either getting upset or having very, very close calls. Um, and your the, the Clemson and Notre Dame uh, games, uh, home team making some critical mistakes, uh, like you talked about, no excuse for uh, 10 men on the field when you're at home after a timeout. Um, in the Notre Dame Ohio State game and Clemson with the miscue on the missed field goal, obviously with the almost Cinderella story there. So some great games with with home teams uh, either getting upset or squeaking out wins. Uh, let's go to the most impressive teams of Week Four, where I think the home teams did pretty well. Yeah, the home teams overall did pretty well this weekend. Actually, Florida State beating Clemson is definitely not an upset. So there was really only one upset this weekend, um, which is why I have pretty much no games in the upset category that we'll get to later. Um, but Washington beat Cal 59 to 32. They opened up this game on a crazy scoring run. They were up 24 to six at the end of the first quarter and they were up 45 to 12 at the end of the first half. Um, that's just ridiculous. I mean, look, we've talked about Washington's offense enough. 
I've been trying to move them up in the poll, but I just can't, I, I don't really have a reason to be able to move the teams ahead of them down. Um, especially Ohio state after this week, tried to move them ahead of USC. Um, it, it's, I want to move Washington State, oh, sorry, Washington up. Let, let's just put it that way. I think they are better than what I have them ranked at, but I don't want to, it's against my philosophy to move a team down that won, especially in a big game. I just don't think that that's the way to do it. So I'm not going to do that, but they are better than the ranking indicates both in the AP poll and in our poll. Um, then you have number 10, Oregon, who demolished Colorado. Not many words about this one, honestly. Oregon is just the far, I mean, Travis Hunter could have made an impact on this game for sure. Uh, he could have made it not the biggest blowout in the world, but it still wouldn't have been very close. Uh, he maybe would have made it 42. To, he maybe would have made it 35 to 10 instead, you know, get help them get one more drive with an offensive performance and help and stop Oregon from scoring a little bit uh, with his defense. But the fact of the matter is Oregon is a far better team than Colorado. Um, Colorado, as we've seen throughout the season, the teams that they played that we thought were quality opponents are really not quality opponents. I mean, Nebraska is, there's an argument that you can make. I'll just put it this way, that Nebraska might be the worst team in the big 10. And I'm not saying that's not a stretch at all. Um, there it's between really them and Indiana, because look, Minnesota, as we'll get to in a second, they lost to Northwestern this weekend, who was previously viewed as one of the worst. So I don't really know where you can argue other than that. Nebraska is at least one of the worst teams. Um, but that was viewed as a good win early on because of preseason expectations. And then TCU, same thing, which we now know they're not, they're not, they're not bad, but they're not that great either. So Colorado's two wins haven't been very good um, in looking back at it with hindsight. And then the win over Colorado State was way too close um, for playing a bad team. Uh, going to overtime with Colorado State is not something that good teams do. Um, Colorado, not a top 25 team. Meanwhile, Oregon, they end up just really putting a beat down on Colorado. They are just a better team. They have better offensive line, better defensive line. The battle in the trenches was really where this game was won. And then Oregon just breaking pretty much every Colorado tackling attempt. We talked about some of the bad tackling in the Colorado TCU game in week one, and it definitely carried over into this one. Oregon really felt like every running back out there was like, it was like Derrick Henry. It was ridiculous. I mean, nobody could tackle anybody. Um, and then Oregon just getting Bo Nix going in the short passing game and pretty much the game was over before it started, um, ended up 35 to nothing. It was 42 at the half. It was 42 to nothing before Colorado even scored. So not a very close game. Um, but then you have number 13, Alabama, who came back from a halftime deficit to beat Ole Miss 24 to 10, a better look offensively from them. Um, still not a great look offensively. This team has no chance of making the playoff. Uh, their defense is not, their defense is not good enough. Um, to to support their lackluster offense is, is how I'm going to put this. My reasoning for having them on most impressive teams was because I was surprised that their defense actually was able to hold Ole Miss only to that opening drive or second drive touchdown and then just the field goal in the rest of the game. So I was impressed with their defensive performance because Ole Miss does have a good offense um, that they were able to stop. But at the same time, that impressive performance from the defense, it's not going to be enough against even teams like LSU, let alone Georgia um, because it's just not they, they don't have the offense to go out there and put up a lot of points so if their defense struggles at all has one miscommunication that leads to a big play touchdown they're pretty much screwed just because every team and also by the way Ole Miss doesn't have the best defense themselves so Alabama probably in past years would have put up more on Ole Miss's defense but they didn't because they don't really have that explosiveness anymore but uh, speaking of defense 
Iowa likes to pride themselves on that. This weekend, they couldn't pride themselves on defense or offense because they scored zero points and Penn State scored 31. So uh, this game, uh, I'm not going to lie, did not have a chance to watch it. And we'll talk about why I wasn't watching it in a second. But Penn State absolutely demolished Iowa. Uh, I believe you told me on the phone that Drew Aller had the same amount, almost the same amount of uh, passing completions uh, as K or Penn State had more. Well, Penn State had more points than McNamara had attempts, which that ha- that happens a decent amount, but um, yeah, there were a lot of different stats you could pull out this game about how Penn State just dominated Iowa, uh, and Iowa not having the greatest offense in the world, probably one of the worst in the conference, and that being a conference that doesn't really have much offense. Uh, but look, I'm still impressed with Penn State being able to completely shut them out, and also the fact that uh, they were able to put up some points on a good defense, although part of that is probably that Iowa's offense was barely on the field and their defense was a little bit gassed the whole game. Yeah, part of it was Iowa's vaunted punt game um, and it created a turnover. They punted, hit their guy in the back, uh, a lot of turnovers on offense, and uh, there's a lot of crazy stats, but I think the the one that uh, stands out the most <clears throat> is Penn State scored 31 points. Iowa ran 33 plays, total domination. Iowa had the ball for more than 45 minutes. Um, you didn't miss much. Uh, and you had an excused absence. So let's move off the most impressive teams to the biggest upsets of week four, which includes uh, a mention of your excused absence from seeing some of these games. Yeah, that was the reason that I was referring to. That is because I was on the sidelines for Northwestern Minnesota, where Northwestern was losing 31 to 10 before the fourth quarter. I will admit that even I said, well, it looks like this game's kind of over. And being honest, from being right next to the sidelines, there was a lot of fire even after Minnesota jumped out to an early lead, even when it was 24 to seven at the half. But after the last touchdown Minnesota had, because they had a fourth and one, um, they had a fourth and one play where they went for it. And it was kind of going to be the key in the game at 24 to 10. They got a 39 yard touchdown on fourth and one. And that really felt like the straw that broke the camel's back in the end of the game. But Northwestern came firing, scored 21 unanswered in the fourth quarter uh, and ended up taking the game into overtime. They forced Minnesota to kick a field goal with a really strong goal line stand. Um, but then Northwestern came back first play of their offensive overtime. They have a nice tight end leak play where he pretends to block and then releases out of the back of the formation. And he was absolutely uncovered by Minnesota. No one looking Charlie Manjiri's way as he scampered in the end zone for a 25 yard game winning touchdown about 10 yards away from me. Uh, but yeah, that was a ridiculous game, but look, I didn't think I was going to be able to mention it here, but when I looked through the games, there were no upsets anywhere this week. The only upset you could say was Ohio State Notre Dame, but they were favored by Vegas. So I don't, you can't call any of these games an upset. Washington State was favored. Florida State was favored by a few points. Um, Obviously, not really a surprise that Alabama beat Ole Miss. Saban always dominates his former coordinators, and the list goes on and on. But then the one other upset was that Wake Forest started out 3-0, and Georgia Tech, who's been lowly, but who has been competitive, I will say, 130 to 16. I wasn't expecting that one. Um, obviously did not watch that game at all, uh, given the rest of the slate. But I had to I had to give the Yellow Jackets a mention there because there really weren't any other big upsets this weekend. Okay, well, that wraps up our look at college football week four action. Let's turn to week three in the NFL with the closest games. We will start with Monday Night Football. The Bengals beating the Rams 19 to 16. Uh, this game was a story of missed opportunities and turnovers costing a team a game. Uh, For the Rams, they kicked field goals in every quarter until the fourth when they finally scored their first touchdown at the end of the game, down 19-9. Had they been able to score any touchdowns before, 
uh, they probably would have won this game. And then also on the second to last drive of the game, the Rams threw an interception that proved to be very, very costly because they were driving and still had a chance to get back into it. Um, but they unfortunately didn't because of that interception by Matt Stafford and Matthew Stafford. And finally, the Bengals have gotten on the board with the win this year. Uh, speaking of gotten on the board with the win this year, the Steelers actually look okay now that they're not playing the 49ers. A lot of overreactions after they lost. Maybe it's just because it was one of the first games of the season and it was, uh, I believe, a primetime game. So some people were a little bit too scared about that one, a little bit uh, quick to jump on how bad the Steelers may be this season. But look, they I, I think they're I think they're kind of back to the Steelers of the end of Ben Roethlisberger's career where, you know, they might not necessarily be a, a quality playoff team. They're not going to be a Super Bowl contender, but they can beat up on the bad teams enough to at least make it, if not at least end up above 500 and be in the hunt by the end of the season. Um, and I think this is an example of that. The Raiders did almost get back into the game at the end. They scored 11 unanswered in the fourth quarter, um, but they were down 23 to seven. The Steelers were dominant throughout this game, especially on the defensive end. And they also have a win over the Browns and scored 26 points of them against them, which albeit was a sloppy game. The Browns have only given up three points in their other two games. So their offense doesn't even look too bad when they're again, not playing the 49ers. Um, but look, I'm okay. I, I think I'm feeling okay about the Steelers going forward. Who I'm not feeling okay about are the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, they are now at two and one because they lost to the Cardinals 28 to 16. Just can't happen. I mean, plain and simple. I think Micah Parsons said that they play down to their opponents. It doesn't matter. It's the Cardinals. You can't even play down to them enough to lose to them. Look at the Giants last week. They had a terrible start to the season. That is their only win of the year. And yet the Giants were losing that game by, I think, I want to say, yeah, they were losing 20 to nothing at the half. And then they came back and held the Cardinals to just eight in the third quarter and down 28 to seven, they came back and won 31 to 28. So it's not like you're ever out of a game against this team. Um, and by the way, the Cowboys demolished the Giants. So if the Giants can go on the road and beat the Cardinals, the Cowboys definitely can. But it's just, you know, it's another one of those performances by the Cowboys that seems to happen every year where just when you think everything is clicking and everything is going well, something goes wrong and all of a sudden people still keep their faith. But, you know, if you look under the hood, there's definitely something wrong. And that that tends to be um, a thing that the Cowboys repeat every year. And this year might be no different in that aspect. Then you have the Colts who beat the Ravens 22 to 19 in overtime. Uh, some some questionable calls in this game. There was a pretty obvious hold on a fourth down that the Ravens went for in overtime that wasn't called. Um, and then as a result, uh, the Colts ended up getting the ball back later and scoring the game-winning field goal. But I will say, I'm surprised with how the Colts have looked so far. They've looked pretty good. Gardner Minshew looks good as the kind of de facto backup slash half starter. Um, but Anthony Richardson has looked okay when he's played as well. And I, I think the Ravens also, they're, they're looking good this season as well, 2-1 and one for both of these teams. I think it's definitely more surprising that the Colts are 2-1 and one than that the Ravens are 2-1. and one. But the fact of the matter is, both playing good football right now. Um, this was a close game, obviously an overtime game. Then you have the Patriots and the Jets. These teams have been struggling a little bit, but the Patriots finally get their first win by beating a team that they pretty much always beat 15-10, to 10, a very, very boring game. Um, pretty much exactly what you expected out of Zach Wilson versus Mac Jones. Uh, with these two defenses out there, too, because the Jets do have a very good defense. It's just that, uh, you know, they don't have Aaron Rodgers throwing before that defense comes on the field. So, A, it might look a little bit worse because they're on the field too much. And B, you know, they're going to lose some games despite great performances by their defense. Um, and then finally, 
You have the Chargers who beat the Vikings. Well, not finally. There's one more game. But the Chargers beat the Vikings 28-24. to The Vikings had an opportunity to drive down the field and win the game, um, but they weren't quite able to do it. They didn't spike the ball after they got a first down uh, and then threw an interception on the play after with about 12 or 15 seconds left. So some costly mistakes by the Vikings, bad clock management, and now they're 0-3. Very tough hole to dig yourself out of if you're trying to make the playoffs. Um, and feeds farther into the thing in the NFC North that, hey, maybe the Lions might win or maybe the Packers might win it because just when it looked like they were down and out, they were down 17 and nothing at the half, 17 and nothing at the end of the third quarter. They scored 18 unanswered points and won the game 18 to 17 against the Saints. Very hard to do uh, to score 18 points in a quarter against the Saints defense. They have a good defense. So that was a big, big surprise. But Jordan Love did a very, very good job this game of leading them to that comeback. Obviously came alive in that fourth quarter. Uh, the Saints really were dominating this game, though. ESPN had them as high as, I think it's 97% chance to win the game at some point. Um, and all of a sudden, the Packers end up winning this game. And now it's a bit of a different narrative. It's not just kind of the Lions alone since the Vikings are, you know, the Vikings and the Bears are, well, the Bears. Um, it's really the Packers and the Lions. And guess what? They play this week. Uh, it'll be a great battle between those two. I believe it's actually the Thursday night game this week. So that'll be interesting to see those two on a standalone game. Um, it'll be fun to watch. And the winner will obviously come away three and one and leading the NFC North, a very weak division, might I add. Um, but look, Packers played well this weekend. Um, I could have put them on most impressive, but I, it had to be in the best games because it was after all, it, it was a one point game. Okay, well, then let's move to the uh, four teams who are on that most impressive list. I think the first one's obvious. I made a statement about college football that if you score 70 points, you're going to be on here. Uh, that's only happened four. That probably happens four or five times a season in college football. It's happened four times in NFL history now that the Dolphins beat the Broncos 70 to 20. Um, not much to say about it. If you look at the fastest runners uh, of this season they're all Dolphins players on different runs some of them are Devon A-Chain some of them are Tyreek Hill some of them are Jalen Waddell some of them are Raheem Mostert uh, the Broncos clearly have an issue with speed um, and they cannot really defend it so any other teams out there you want to find an old vet who has a lot of speed you might be able to steal a win over the Broncos by feeding him the ball uh, but anyway Look, the Dolphins, it wasn't just speed in this game. They were just, they just outplayed the Broncos like in so many different areas. It's, it wasn't a close game. It looked like maybe one of the best teams in the league, at least top five team against one of the worst teams in the league, at least a bottom five team. Um, and nothing more than that. I mean, the only other thing I have to say about this game is that I have no idea why Russell Wilson was still playing down 50 points. That's just really stupid by Sean Payton um, for many reasons, because first of all, he's already made many comments about Russell Wilson and his antics um, off the field and how he should be focusing on football more. And the fact of the matter is, if you were focused on football that much, you would know that keeping your quarterback in the game down 50 points is not a smart decision uh, at all. So I don't really know why he was still in the game. Um, but look, credit to the Dolphins. I'll just leave it at that. Credit to them for putting up 70 points. That's ridiculous. Um, and they even had the chance at the end of the game to score 73 by kicking a field goal, and they didn't. Most people are calling that respectful. I say it was deserved for the Broncos to give up that field goal and give up the record. You play that bad, you should have a record hung on you, and I don't really care if it takes a last-second field goal. Uh, but then you have the Bills who beat the Commanders 37-3. Again, not much to say about this game. It was 16 to nothing at the half. Uh, the Bills scored three touchdowns in the fourth quarter to really put it away. Uh, but the fact of the matter is the Commanders started out 2-0. That's great for them. But they played a really weak schedule. Um, the Bills kind of introducing them to – 
what a real team looks like. Can they now move to two and one? Uh, probably uh, will win this division, but we'll have to see because they are going to play the Dolphins this week. That will be another big battle in another division. This time, if the Bills win it, it'll be three and one for both of these teams. And if the Dolphins win it, it's four and zero oh for the Dolphins and two and two for the Bills. Uh, and even if the Patriots and the Jets both win, the Dolphins will already have pretty early two game lead on the rest of the division, which is pretty interesting to think about. Um, and then speaking of the Lions, who are two and one, I spoiled that a little bit earlier. They beat the two and zero Falcons twenty to six. Not much to say about this game, but I'm impressed with how the Lions' defense has played uh, throughout the season. And this game, no different, only allowing the Falcons to get two field goals on the board. And then finally, talked about their defense earlier, talked about them only giving up three points. That is, of course, the Cleveland Browns. Derrick Henry had 11 carries for 20 yards. I really can't say any more about a defense other than just putting Derrick Henry's stats against them, and you hear that. That tells you that that defense is playing well. That is true for the Browns' defense. Um, and Deshaun Watson hasn't necessarily been the Deshaun Watson of 2019 uh, on Houston, but maybe he doesn't have to be because now he finally has a good supporting cast around him on the defense because that is something that the Texans never really had uh, going for him uh, in terms of a really, really good defense. Obviously, they always had J.J. Watt, but that was pretty much all they had for a few years. So uh, they were still a, it was still a good week, though, for the Browns. I still expect them to win. Uh, definitely many games in the season. We'll see what happens when they run into the divisional opponents, although I believe they already beat the Steelers. Um, but they do play the Ravens this weekend, which will be, an, again, another battle at the top of the division. So some really interesting games, like I said earlier. Told you the games are going to pick up with how good um, the divisional matchups are. And by the way, the the Buccaneers play the Saints too, which is another good game, although I skipped over the Bucks because we kind of know that the Eagles would dominate them anyway. Um, but look, impressed with the Browns. That defense is really, really good, making an argument for the best in the league right about now. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Eagles. They could have gone on that most impressive teams of week three, but I don't think we know how good the, the uh, Bucks are. We might find that out next week in that matchup you mentioned. Okay, that wraps up our look at the NFL for the week. Let's turn our attention to Major League Baseball with our weekly review heading into the last week of the regular season. We will start, as always, in the American League East. Well, there are still two divisions unclinched in this uh, in the American League. There's one in the National League, but it's not really much of a battle. Uh, the Baltimore Orioles, they are clinched for the playoffs. The Rays are clinched for the playoffs, but the Rays are only two and a half games back. Um, I still think the Orioles are going to walk away with it because, after all, if you look at the records, the Rays already have 62 losses. All the Orioles need to do is get three wins this week. They get to 162 that would be enough, even if the Rays went undefeated, I believe. I think the Orioles have the tiebreaker. Um, so it doesn't really feel like a big race here. And then you have the Blue Jays who are 87 and 69. But I'm going to breeze through the divisions on my own and then actually just go back to the wild card. Um, but the Twins, they clinched, finally, took forever. Um, but 83 and 73, the Guardians are nine and a half back. The Tigers might end up second in this division, which is interesting. They're 73 and 83, which is a half a game back of Cleveland. Um, and then in the West... You have the three-team battle. This is really the play. This is the playoff battle, uh, all on its own, pretty much. Uh, you have the Rangers, who are eighty-eight and sixty-eight. They are two and a half games ahead of Houston. Although, if they were demoted to the wild card, they would be pretty much right with the Blue Jays. I think one game ahead. Um, yeah, they would be one game ahead of the Blue Jays. So they're definitely they're definitely ahead of all the other teams. Um, after a sweep of the Mariners, and they're now on a six-game winning streak. Meanwhile. The Astros are three and nine in their last 12 games, and nine of those games were against the Royals and the A's, um, and the other three were against the Orioles. You can't do that if you're Houston, and all of a sudden, 
they're now teetering on the brink of a playoff spot. Um, we'll see. You never know. I mean, the Rangers could just play to make sure if the Rangers haven't locked up the division, they might sweep the Mariners again this weekend. But if they have locked up the division, maybe they, you know, they step off the, they take their foot off the gas a little bit. And all of a sudden the Mariners might be able to beat the Rangers in that series. And maybe the Astros get left out of the playoffs, which would be really surprising. But the reason why I'm talking about that possibility, of course, is because the Rays, they have the first wild card spot locked up, or I guess it's not the Rays. It's the loser of the Rays and Orioles divisional battle. Um, but then you have the Blue Jays at 87 and 69, who are one and a half games ahead of the Astros at 86 and 71. And then the Mariners are one and a half back of the Astros. Uh, the Astros, though, have some tough games to end the season. I believe they play the Diamondbacks uh, for one of their series. And I forget their other one, but I think it, maybe it, may, it might be the Orioles again. But it's someone who's pretty, pretty good. Um, and fact of the matter is, they need to win most of those games. And they're not going to be easy games at all. But the Blue Jays... I think they have their spot pretty much locked up. I, I do trust that they're going to be able to be in the playoffs. Um, and I do think that they, after, you know, many, many bumps in the road and playing in one of the toughest divisions, if not the toughest division in baseball, they're going to make it in the end. Uh, but the Astros and the Mariners, that's going to be an interesting battle all the way down to the last day of the season. Um, and even if the Rangers somehow slip up for the last six games, then all of a sudden the divisional race is even wide open in the AL West, which it is a big deal to not be playing in the divisional round. Uh, there's a pretty good chance, though, that it will be the AL West first place team against the AL West second place team uh, in a wild card series with the right to play the Twins in the next round on the line, which I mean, I'm just going to put this out there right now. That is a very dangerous scenario for the possibility of the Astros potentially just having to beat the Rangers in a playoff series with the opportunity to play the Twins. That team might be making it back to the World Series again at that point, but We'll see what happens with that. I don't want to forecast too far into the future, but if you look at kind of the threats out there, really the winner of that series is pretty much just guaranteeing themselves a bid to the NLCS because I don't think the Twins are going to stand any fight against those teams. Uh, the ALCS, you're getting a little ahead of yourself, but I think you are ready to turn your attention to the National League. That is true. Where the Braves clinched their division, uh, that happened a while ago, um, but they are up 13 games on the Phillies, who have won five in a row. We'll talk about them in a second. And the Marlins are 81-75. and 75. Um, The only thing that's important in the National League and in kind of the end of the American League is which West division has the um, team who's going to win the We Lost the Division by the Most Games crown. The Rockies are currently 40 back of the Dodgers, and the A's are currently 40 back of the Rangers, despite the fact that their record uh, isn't too good as a divisional leader. But speaking of the Dodgers, they've clinched the West. Uh, the Brewers are the only team, though, going back to the Central, who haven't clinched their division yet in the NL. That is because the Cubs are only six games back. But do the math. There are six games left in the season. Uh, the Brewers are up six games. They literally need to win one game or have the Cubs lose one game in the whole week, and they will have clinched the division. So they will do that eventually, um, sooner rather than later, probably. But then you have to go to the wild card. The Phillies are up five games on the Diamondbacks for the second wild card spot. The Diamondbacks, though, are tied with the Cubs for that spot. So currently, the Phillies are definitely going to get that first wild card. That, that's, not, that's not really up for debate. But um, in terms of the Diamondbacks and the Cubs, it'll be interesting to see who plays them. There's no real clear winner here. All of these teams, the Diamondbacks, the Cubs, the Marlins, and the Reds, are within two and a half games of each other. And none of them have really broken away. They're all six and four or four and six in their last 10 games. So there's not really anything differentiating these two other than just games in the standings. Um, the Diamondbacks are tied with the Cubs, as I said, for the second and third wildcard spots. And then you just have the Marlins one game back. 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens at the end of the season. As I said, I believe the Diamondbacks are playing the Astros, which that is going to be a tough series for them as both teams are fighting for their playoff lives. Um, but we'll see if the Diamondbacks are up to the challenge as the Cubs. Um, they also play some tough teams at the end of the season as well. It'll be a really, really interesting battle. I'm excited to see how it unfolds in the coming week. Not even coming weeks because this is the last week. And the next week we will be able to talk about playoff baseball, which will be very exciting. Um, well, the last thing I will say about NL about the NL is that uh, the Padres finally got, if you hadn't been following them, you might not have known that their longest win streak this year was three. Uh, they finally decided to go on a win streak of longer than three, but they just waited until they were already eight games under 500 at the end of the season and out of the race to do it. Uh, they did win seven in a row though last week and they went eight and two in their last 10, but unfortunately they're still five and a half back of a wild card spot. Maybe if they had been able to win one of those 11 games that they lost in extra innings this year because they went one and 11 in extras. Uh, maybe if they had won, you know, a few of them, they might actually be in the playoffs, but unfortunately that's not the world we live in. Well, unfortunately, if you're a Padres fan, um, so Padres played themselves out of it early in the year, can't win close games. That's what happens. Their plus 90 win different run differential, excuse me, uh, is actually better than the division leading Brewers. And the only team in the wild card race that has a better one is the Cubs at plus 101. The Diamondbacks are minus 18. The Marlins are minus 51. The Reds are minus 48. The Giants are minus 32. Uh, so if you're into Pythagorean wins, then uh, the Padres should be a playoff team along with the Cubs and the Phillies. But unfortunately, it works in real wins, not Pythagorean wins. Um, the Padres are pretty much the opposite of the Mariners a few years ago. Uh, they are being punished for a good run differential rather than being rewarded for a bad one. But they deserve it. They couldn't win close games all year long, and they wasted a Cy Young year for Blake Snell, who might now enter free agency and leave anyway. Okay, well, that wraps up our look at Major League Baseball. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, October 3rd, where we will once again look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, have a look back at week five of college football and week four of the NFL, and as Patrick mentioned, have our last weekly review of the Major League Baseball regular season as we look forward to playoff action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including the 4th and 24 college football poll that is posted every Monday, Patrick's Major League Baseball power rankings that are updated every Wednesday, Patrick's picks for next weekend's games that would be posted as always on Thursday and his predictions for the entire college football season that have been up for some time, but it's always fun to go back and look and see how well he's doing now that we're four weeks in. All of that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.